Welcome to Shrinks and Drinks. Ashley, what are you drinking? I'm drinking an ocean water from Sonic because it's 102 degrees outside and it's blue and refreshing and blue things are refreshing. Yeah, especially this time of day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it was 100 degrees here yesterday. It's bitter. Yeah. I feel sorry for those folks who have to work outside. Mm-hmm. Well, I am drinking. What are you drinking, Molly? <laughs> if she's not going to ask, I'm still going to tell you. <laughs> I am drinking an iced coffee from Starbucks. Yum. I think that most Emphasis of the time. Emphasis on the ice. When we do this podcast, it's almost always going to be something from Starbucks. I can go with that. That's okay. So what are we talking about today, Ashley? We're talking about depression. Yeah. Today's episode is on depression. We want to talk about what it is, what causes it. What can we do about it? And then we'll end with some more lighthearted stuff. So we're just going to dive right in. The first thing I want to tell you guys is what the DSM says about depression. The DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual, all about mental health disorders and how to diagnose them. So what the DSM says about major depressive disorder is that it is marked by depressed mood, loss of interest or pleasure in daily activities, weight loss or weight gain fatigue and loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness, inappropriate guilt, lack of concentration, thoughts of death or suicide. So what are some of the causes of major depression? (sighs) That's one of those questions that is answered different by every single person that I've seen. Really, in my own practice, there are people that depression is very situational for, So they've had something really hard happen in their life, whether that is loss of a loved one, loss of a job, or even something like stress with their kids in the home. Chronic pain. Chronic pain is a major cause of depression. A new diagnosis of another disorder, alcoholism, Mm -hmm. drug addiction, so many different things. Trauma. Major life change is a big one for sure. Even good change can can be a big change. I think of people in the military that are moving every few years. Even Adjusting. When you, yes. And, you know, that could even go into its own little tangent about adjustment disorder versus depression. But we'll save that for another show. Right. So what you're saying is there's no single cause of depression. Right. Well, and that's not even considering the biological component, the chemical component. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Imbalance in our neurotransmitters that we can't see under a microscope that we just have to kind of guesstimate. And does it really matter? Does it really matter where depression comes from, whether it's on a biologic level or not? Yeah, really, at the end of the day, what we as providers have always cared about is, is the depression present? And if so, how do we treat it? You know, and Ashley and I both actually come from a very different perspective on treating it, because Ashley manages medication, and I've always done therapy. But I think both of us have done a lot of therapy in our own offices. I'd like to get people to understand that the guilt and shame that you feel over depression is one of the first things that needs to be worked on in therapy to be let go of because the stigma that comes with it from such a young age, just suck it up and move on. Mm -hmm. I, I don't deserve to. I have a great life. I don't deserve. Somebody else has it worse than I do. Why am I feeling this way? Right. You know, we see that a lot in men more than women. This, this if I have depression, I'm I'm weak. Mm. Or if I have depression, you know, or just I can't. I physically cannot mm-hmm. have depression because I'm a strong and independent and person. And I got stuff to do. Yes, it's in the way of, of what I got to get done. And, and that's just not true. I think that one of the biggest falsehoods around depression is that it signifies weakness because it absolutely doesn't. 
And in fact, the people who have come in my office asking for help are the strongest that I know. Exactly right. It takes an incredible amount of strength to be able to admit what is going on inside and to want a change in your life. Mm -hmm. I have so much respect for the people who come into my office and ask for help. The weight is incredible that they're having to carry and being able to let it go to make room for other joys in life Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're not a man. So let's talk a little bit more about what all of that criteria means. I listed a bunch of stuff in the beginning about what the DSM says about depression. And one of the things that it says is a loss of interest in daily activities. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to just explore what that looks like in the people that we've seen. What do you like doing, Molly? I love to read. I love to hang out with my son. I love to go to work. You love to crochet. I love to crochet. I love to ride bikes. So say slowly you started noticing that you weren't riding your bike as much or when you're sitting down, you're just staring off into space. You're not crocheting. You're just dwelling and thinking and Mm -hmm. in a perpetual state of sadness. So when we start seeing those things that we enjoy start to take the back burner a little bit, that's one significant thing to look at and considering whether or not we're depressed. That's exactly right. And it's it sometimes happens slowly and not all at once. You don't wake up one day and say, I don't want to hang out with my kid or go to work or crochet or ride bikes. But maybe you wake up one day and you don't you don't go ride your bike like you normally do. And then the next day you drop, you know, you drop the crocheting. And then the next day you're not as attentive to your family and, and it slowly, slowly happens. And then you wake up one day and you're like, wow, I no longer do any of the things that used to bring me joy. And I don't know why. I don't know why those things aren't bringing me joy anymore. And the longer you go, the more buried you are Mm -hmm. under the weight of all of the days you chose not to do those things because of your depression. And the longer you wait to get treatment, the harder it is, honestly, to feel better even though there is still hope. Absolutely. I think if you ever get to a point where you recognize a need for help, then then that in and of itself begets hope. Exactly. It's almost like whenever they say, if you let yourself get thirsty, you're Mm. already, I don't know if that's actually true. You're already (laughs) dehydrated. I don't actually think that's true, but we've heard it. And so it's good to stay up on your water intake Mm -hmm. all through the day versus letting yourself need that much replenishment. Yeah. So I guess the lesson there is to pay attention to your habits. And if mm-hmm. if you start to slow down and things you love start to become things that you dread, pay attention to that and recognize if if you need help. And even if you were are depressed and you're like, I'm going to force myself to go ride my bike or exercise or whatever, and you mm-hmm. find yourself just not enjoying it like you used to, Yeah, that maybe doesn't mean keep doing it until you enjoy it. Maybe you need to talk to someone. Absolutely. So weight loss and weight gain without Mm -hmm. dieting, without trying or decreasing or increase in appetite. What does that signify? Yeah, I think that's an interesting one. A lot of people come in and ask, why is my change in weight something you're asking when I'm talking about depression? Mm -hmm. And I think that that has to do again with our habits. Our habits in our life have changed when we're depressed. Mm -hmm. And so comfort eating, Mm -hmm. I think we're all familiar with it. We all have gone through phases where you know, food has become emotional for us. And that can mean overeating or undereating. But both of those, along with, you know, the lethargy can, can really tie into that weight gain and a or lot, weight loss. Yes. And a lot of times the, the not eating as much I'm see, I'm one when I get emotional, I'm one to pig out on everything. But some people are the opposite. They may feel so much shame that they don't want to nourish their bodies. 
or they feel so much anxiety that their mind's wrapped up in other Mm -hmm. things and they don't even think about eating. So they skip out on those meals and have some weight loss. So very much goes hand in hand with our, with our mental state. Right. And you know, something else to think about is sometimes our food intake, whether too much or too little can be a form of self-harm and Mm. it can be really subconscious. We're not, you know, physically hurting ourselves like you think of when you hear the Mm -hmm. term self-harm but sometimes we think well I'm you know unattractive and disgusting anyway so what's one more Twinkie or sometimes Mm -hmm. we think I'm just so fat and disgusting I'm skipping meals all day today exactly right and it's a form of self-harm that that just slides under the radar far too often that's another one too we could really dive into that Mm mm-hmm Uh, fatigue or loss of energy every day. You know, you think of people all the time when they're depressed. I, I, my brain goes to, they're in bed all day. I do telemedicine and there are sometimes, I love telemedicine because sometimes people are just too down to come in those first few visits. Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen people in bed with their heads under their covers before because they're so depressed because that's one of the things that you kind of want to do is escape. I had one patient tell me not too long ago, I not only want to lay in my bed, I want to lay in my mattress. I just want to get as far into my bed and buried as I can because she was so terribly depressed. What do you think about loss of energy? Yeah. Well, and I will say that when it's isolated, it doesn't necessarily signify depression. I don't want someone to think that because they're lazy, they're depressed or because they have, you know, low energy. So much of that can be hormonal. Please, friends, get your hormones checked. Exactly. And your thyroid. Absolutely. That, that's another thing we'll touch on in a bit to, yeah. as well. But, you know, that can the, the lethargy can totally be a life stage. So, for instance, as I mentioned in our little intro, if you haven't listened, go check that out. I've got a little baby that keeps me up a couple times a night still. And, man, I tell you what, every day when I wake up, the last thing I want to do is get up and work on my house. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that right now I don't feel clinically depressed. Mm-hmm. I just have low energy because that's the life stage I'm in. Mm-hmm. However, if that if that lethargy and that, you know, feeling of needing to overcome inertia, we call it, where you just feel like there's a weight on your chest or like you're underwater trying to run and you just you can't move through that, if that is, you know, coupled with these other things we're talking about, then that's what we would start looking at depression for. Exactly. The next one is, I always say my least favorite one, even more so than the suicidal thoughts question, because this leads to that feelings of worthlessness Mm -hmm. or inappropriate guilt. And this is the one that always brings tears to people's eyes. When I ask them, do you feel worthless? And there's a moment there where they have to grab a tissue many times because depression has a symptom of worthlessness. And that one breaks me for people. Yeah. You know, from a therapist perspective, that's something that we grapple with all the time, really deeply in therapy. And one of the things that I ask people to do is to really look at the thought, like let's isolate one thought because, you know, you feel worthless, but let's question that. What makes you feel worthless? And they might just say, you know, I don't really think my family loves me. And so from that, what's the evidence for and against that thought? Because so often depression comes with lies we tell ourselves. And so really just questioning those thoughts and saying, are these grounded in truth or am I fabricating things? What's inappropriate guilt to you? Yeah, that's a good question because with that low self-esteem comes the the line in the DSM that says inappropriate guilt. So that means that there is some sort of appropriate guilt, right? Right. And so the first question is what's appropriate guilt? So say 
that, you know, your relationship failed because of your own wrongdoings. I think that there's a level of guilt that can be appropriate. If you did something to cause your partner to leave, mm-hmm. then there is guilt that is at least- That serves us. Yes. Well, that's adequate change. to the relationship that's factual, right? Mm-hmm. When we talk about questioning, questioning those thoughts, like there is an element of responsibility you hold. Exactly. However, inappropriate guilt means you do not own that responsibility, yet you're taking it as your own anyway. My mind goes to- um, a lot of people who have had sexual trauma as a mm-hmm. child, yeah. somehow kids find a way to blame themselves for everything as we know. And a lot of times people take that right into adulthood and they hold on to some kind of guilt that they've done something wrong, that they're dirty or messed up after being traumatized by people who are supposed to care for them and nurture them. And that's one big way, way to have inappropriate guilt, in my opinion. Absolutely. And the best way to decipher that is to ask yourself, do I have responsibility for, for this thing? And that's one of those things you have to think with your logical side versus your emotional side mm-hmm. and hold on to that. And that's another habit that needs made. It's not mm-hmm. going to come overnight. Which helps with therapy, friends. Exactly. Go to therapy, figure mm-hmm. out how to get through those emotional thoughts and start tying some logic to them. Mm-hmm. Recurrent thoughts of death and suicide. That's one that is yeah. saved for last on the DSM, and a lot of these things added together can cause us to feel like we just don't have it in us anymore. And I always ask people, do you want to kill yourself or do you want to die? And a lot of times they just want to die because they're tired. They have There's a difference between being actively suicidal or just having thoughts of, I'm exhausted. I don't see a light out. I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. What the only thing I can possibly think of is just to die. It would bring so much relief. And a lot of times they don't hate themselves. They don't want to kill themselves. They want to kill the part of them that hurts so bad. And that's another way therapy can help work work our way through those thoughts. Like she was saying, mm-hmm. to isolate the thoughts and really work through each and every one of them. See the root of the matter and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no doubt that, you know, we talk a lot about if these symptoms are isolated, they don't matter, but that's a symptom of course, that in any way, shape or form, if a person's experiencing, we would hope that they would reach out to a loved one, a family member, a professional and get some help. Mm -hmm. A lot of times um, with therapy, medication management can really, really help get us through the gate. I always say antidepressants they get you into the starting gate. They're not going to complete the race for you. You can't expect to take a pill and not work through your issues that you've had, your grievances, your hurts. A pill's not going to fix that. And I'm sorry to say, we in America, I feel like we always want that quick fix and it's just not going to happen. But they can lead us to, I always say, it can help you to get your yoga pants on in order to get yourself out for a run. It increases the motivation just enough to be able to do the things in your life that decrease depression. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, brings us into the whole conversation about, you know, we've discussed what depression is, but what the heck do we do about it? Right. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it is, you know, you see a professional and get some medication to help you get to that starting gate. And, you know, Ashley has what she tells her patients and I have what I tell mine. And something I always tell mine at the beginning of therapy is that this will work as hard as you do. So if you show up and you're not ready to work, and you're not ready to to change, to reflect, to dig in. Um, if you just show up for the sake of venting and leave, mm-hmm. you're not working very hard and it's not going to work. But I always have told my patients that 
this will work as hard as you do. A lot of times our depression is so bad that we're not able to hear what the therapist is saying to us. We're not able to get there. And medication sometimes can just open our ears just enough to think, what if, what if I actually can do this? What if I can make it through this storm? Yeah. And that's why it's important to collaborate with more than just one. You don't need just medication. You might not just need therapy. Just, you know, listen to the people in your life. And we always tell our people that see us to, to, you know, be well-rounded in their Mm -hmm. healthcare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Studies show that therapy and medications together with people who are chronically depressed work better together than just one or the other many Mm -hmm. times. Absolutely. Molly, let's talk for a second about guilt and shame. I know that you therapists love those words. (laughs) We love to get rid of those words. (laughs) (laughs) So instead of beating yourself up over your depression, it's important to remind yourself that you went through some really hard times. And this is how your mind has adapted in order to survive those times. You've learned these patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes we need to extend grace to ourselves and compassion and almost you've kind of talked to me about this before with your, you know, you use this is to embrace the bad feelings, Mm -hmm. not hate them because they served us once, even though they're not anymore. Maybe they protected us once. Maybe we had a rough childhood where we were told we're not good enough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've learned to be quiet and to, you know, talk to ourselves though, in the same way that those adults did when we were kids. Mm -hmm. Therapy is going to help us heal those things. You know, I learned a lot about this type of practice called DBT. It's dialectical behavior therapy. I learned it as an intern under the best therapist. Shout out Kayla. (laughs) And basically the premise of this type of therapy is that two things can be true. This can be really hard or you have room to grow and things are okay as they are. Like this life stage where my son is not sleeping through the night is really hard and I'm really happy to be his mom. So it's okay to hurt even though you yes. desire to feel better. Right, exactly. So you can recognize I am depressed and on my own I cannot get through this and I can get better. And to remember there's nothing wrong with you. You have patterns to unlearn, new behaviors to grasp, wounds to heal, but there's nothing wrong with the core of who you are. And remember, this takes time and this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. This has to be a habit. This has to be learned. Um, One of the things that a lot of people say is, I hate myself. I shouldn't feel this way. I need to get away from it. What is this feeling trying to tell me though? Mm. How can I honor this feeling without letting it dominate my mind? Give yourself permission Mm -hmm. to not know where you need to begin or where you need to end. Mm -hmm. You have permission to need help. We all need help. Mm -hmm. We all go through times of depression and sadness. You know, something that I've told patients in therapy is that people do not wake up one morning and bench press 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. You know, they start off by doing five pound curls. And I think it's the same thing with our mental health. You are not going to wake up one morning and your depression is just going to shed like you snake skin. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not natural. It's not mm-hmm. healthy. No. Instead, you wake up and you pick up a three-pound weight. Whatever that looks like. That might look like getting out of bed, period. 
it might look like taking a shower today. Yep. So start with three pounds. If you have this unrealistic expectation that you're going to wake up and feel better, you're just going to be more disappointed and more frustrated with yourself. And so give yourself grace to wake up. And at the end of the day, go, man, I lifted three pounds mm-hmm. today and I am so proud because mm-hmm. you know what? In a few weeks, I might be able to lift five pounds and you're getting closer and closer to that goal. Yeah. So don't force the wounds closed, basically. Sometimes we have healed wounds and there's still poison inside of them mm-hmm. and they need opened up and retreated in order to heal properly. Mm-hmm. And that takes time. Yep. A lot of times in therapy, it can hurt a lot to start talking about things and people will say, you know, this hurts, this feels worse, but sometimes you have to lance the wound, you know, you have to really purge it of what hurts. And exactly. that's when you start to have long lasting healing because a bandaid isn't long lasting healing. Right. A lot of people ask me, what's the difference between depression and sadness? Mm. How do I know if I'm depressed? Mm. Um, what do you tell them? I tell them. <laughs> <laughs> depression is, think of depression as a mood that lasts and doesn't go away and you can't carry on with your normal life mm. without carrying it on your shoulders. Sadness is an emotion that we all feel, that we all need to feel. It's healthy to feel the bad emotions along with the good because like Molly was saying, it serves us in some way. Whenever the duration and intensity is incredible, uh, when it lasts a long time and it's not a natural, normal feeling to go with the, what am I trying to say? The, yeah. It's not appropriate. It's mm-hmm. not an appropriate feeling for the situation. Mm-hmm. And you just are noticing all of these things that we talked about in the DSM that come along with it. And it's taking over your life, probably. I think some imagery too for that is that maybe sadness is in the passenger seat and depression's mm-hmm. in the driver's seat. You're so good. I love your analogies. Therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so I would just kind of ask yourself that question, you know, do I feel like I'm in control of my sadness or do I feel like my sadness is in control of me? That's perfect. Who's driving the car? That's it. Because if I think an appropriate amount of sadness, even over a devastating loss means that, you know, I can forget about it for a little while, you know, even, and I think that's healthy. I think if anyone's going through a really hard time, it's important to know that you don't need to feel guilt for sometimes having a good time, you Mm -hmm. know, um, you can still, um, move on from those things. But if the sadness is in the driver's seat and you're doing things that should be fun and there's no fun to be had, I think that's when you start to look at these other depressive symptoms and ask yourself, you know, is this depression? And we chose this subject for our first podcast because it is, it is, it's the most prevalent problem in mental health that we talk about with people. 20 million people in the United States suffer from depression. Mm. You're not alone. You've got a lot of company. They're all just in bed with the covers pulled over their heads. You don't realize it. And we live in a world where, you know, it's to put on social media, this wonderful, bright, shiny, perfect life. And it's just not real. And you're not alone. Absolutely. You know, I think they say that one in three Americans at some point in their life Mm -hmm. have been or will be diagnosed with depression. Mm -hmm. Think about the ones who aren't diagnosed. Yeah. I mean, we're probably getting up Mm -hmm. into the very high maybe probably more especially after covid you know that mm-hmm. was a that was a international trauma that a lot of people went through yeah so you're not alone and we're here to help hopefully guide you to understanding a little bit more about depression and how to see it in loved ones or anyone around you and help you to thrive and not simply cope every day because it's exhausting absolutely
Okay, so I think that we've kind of summed up a lot about depression today. We've talked about what it is. We talked about, you know, how to spot it and also what to do about it and what some things that can help. So I think we need something a little bit more lighthearted for the second half of this podcast. So today we want to talk about fictional characters that might be diagnosed with depression. Who you got? Today I'm coming at you with Eeyore. Eeyore. Everybody loves Eeyore. I mean, Eeyore is literally gray. He is. He is the color gray. He's gloomy. His ears go down. His ears stay (laughs) down most of the time. He has a pen stuck in his butt. Bless him. I'd be depressed too. (laughs) You know, one of the things I think is really good imagery for Eeyore and depression is that he actually moves slowly. That's right. Talk he slowly. looks like he is walking against 50 pounds. He does. Uh, he, he seems like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. I think Eeyore is a really cute and sad example of depression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I love about Eeyore? His friends don't try to change him. Yeah, they love him where he's at. He still goes to all the picnics. Mm. Absolutely. They help him rebuild his house. Mm-hmm. Who do you have, Ashley? I have the Grinch. The Grinch. It's July. We're uh, talking about the Grinch. Well, it's August. It's August. It, it is August. Um, it's always Christmas time for me. I'm fine. I have to leave a perpetual Christmas tree up in my house. Uh-huh. So the Grinch is irritable, grumpy, and seeks social isolation, seeks social isolation which mm-hmm. are hallmarks of depression. Yeah. Um, everybody is always so down on the Grinch. And... You know, they felt sorry for all the kids whose presents were stolen. My mind always went to the Grinch. Why did he feel the need to do that? Mm. And, you know, we end up seeing a little bit of that. I can't remember which one. They've done so many adaptations, mm-hmm. but we see his childhood a little bit. Right. With the Jim Carrey one. The best yeah. one. He's got yeah. a lot of childhood baggage he that does. he needs to work through. Yep. He's, he's different, mm-hmm. isn't he, than everybody else. He sure is. He's green and hairy. And, you know, something, too, that we didn't talk a lot about is the Grinch. His depression kind of comes out as angry exactly and you know specifically it doesn't always come out of sadness does specifically it specifically in kids mm-hmm. one of the most important ways to see depression in people under 18 is it looks like anger mm-hmm. that's really important mm-hmm. i think for listeners to know about is that you know and so we don't actually diagnose depression in children we call it disruptive mood dysregulation disorder and that is basically a childhood diagnosis of depression but it's got a lot more of that anger in there mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what was my next point, actually. <laughs> I stole it from you. It's okay. When people think about depression, they often think about people being sad, being irritable, and a grouch or hallmark signs. Um, think of how many people also feel so much worse during the holidays. Mm-hmm. I see an influx of people coming in during the holidays. So true. And which explains why he wanted to stop it so badly. Everyone everyone feels all the joy in Whoville, and it highlights the significant significance of how much he does not he hated the who's because he hated he actually probably didn't hate the who's he hated mm-hmm. the mirror that they put in his face because mm-hmm. all it did was highlight the contrast between their joy and his misery yeah, we call that displacement she, she has a word for everything sorry i read a lot of books <laughs> i read many books i always say that words are my weapon and he's overweight like we were talking yes, about earlier yes I, I i thought the same thing he's unkempt he lives in filth and collects people's garbage that's a good that's a good mm-hmm. point looking at your home are you not keeping it the way you used to keep it you might not be rubbing onions in your armpits like he did but <laughs> you know and if you are please seek help <laughs> 
So who ended up helping the Grinch? That's what really got me. I cried on the Grinch, okay? Probably cry once a year on this is the best movie. But who helped him? A little girl helped him who did not seek to change him, just like Eeyore's friends. She accepted him and thought he was eccentric and funny. She simply spent time with him, welcomed him mm. into her life when everyone else in town talked bad about him and, mm. and excommunicated. She accepted his little green hairy self and held his hand and she listened to his hurts and brought love to him in his layer. She went to him. Mm. We Didn't all, expect him to go out to her. We all need a Cindy Lou Who in our we lives. We need a Cindy Lou Who. Cutie. His heart grew and he loved himself again and that made him be able to love other people again. Yeah. So... In the Grinch's instance, he did not need medication. Correct. He just needed a support system. Exactly right. And he needed, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a good point. It's not always the answer. Sometimes, absolutely, it's necessary, but not always. I'd probably, I'd probably give Eeyore some Adderall. Yeah, I think he could use it. (laughs) Bless him. That's her professional energy. Thank you all for joining us. It was so nice to have you. I wish we knew what you were drinking. If you feel like letting us know, please set it in the comments and we will talk to you next time. Bye.